produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. question is, what kind of a dinosaur is Barney? He's a Tyrannosaurus. He's a what? He's a Tyrannosaurus. He is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Yeah, for real. That's Jimmy Kimmel, the late-night host who in recent months has been gaining viewers and attention for his passionate attacks on President Trump and calls for gun control and health care for all. But on this afternoon, he's got more pressing issues. Barney the Dinosaur or at least the man who wore the purple suit on the children's show for all those years, has apparently become a tantric sex therapist. Public policy can wait. They need something funny. This is late-night TV. And Kimmel knows he's tailing Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon, but he's always got his not-so-secret weapon. And what would you say that this, what your show does that those others don't, or at least what is special? To you. Well, none of these other hosts will break down crying hysterically once every four weeks. So, uh, <laughs> uh, there's that. <laughs> I'm Washington Post National Arts reporter Jeff Edgers, and from the Post and WBUR in Boston, this is Edge of Fame a podcast about the life that happens before, behind, and beyond the spotlight. Today, the emotional evolution of Jimmy Kimmel. He's hosting the Oscars this year, he's got his nightly show, and on May 1st, 2017, Jimmy Kimmel showed us something we never see on late night TV. And it's, it's a terrifying thing. I'm, uh, you know, my wife is back in the uh, recovery room. She has no idea what's going on. And I'm standing in the middle of a lot of very worried-looking people, kind of like right now. Um, <laughs> Jimmy's son, Billy, was born with a heart condition last April. At first, everything was okay. They did an echocardiogram, which is a sonogram of the heart, and found that Billy was born with um, a heart disease. Billy would be all right, he assured his audience. And near the end of his story, Kimmel made a pivot. He talked of how his family's experience raised a larger point, that he's a rich guy who can afford this kind of health care. What about people who aren't late-night hosts? This is why Kimmel would soon be discussed in op-eds, not just on the entertainment pages. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. That, I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? I mean, we do. Kimmel always made political jokes, but he never wanted to be seen as pushing for one side. This came from watching late-night TV almost as an area of study since his childhood. You never knew what Dave was, and you never knew what Jay Leno was, you never knew what Johnny Carson was, because I didn't want my jokes to be tainted. I, I wanted my jokes to be taken as jokes. I didn't want anything attached to them. You know, you lose something. People think like, oh, he's only making that joke because he's a Democrat, you know, and I didn't want that. Kimmel says he hates crying on TV, but he keeps doing it. It happened the first time he brought Billy onto the show, and he cried in October when he took to the air after the mass shooting at a country music festival in Las Vegas. That's where Kimmel grew up. He also cried just recently as he responded to the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. 
for me personally, it's embarrassing. I've asked, you know, doctors, is there anything that you can take to make you not cry in this situation? I found a tip online that if you squeeze the flesh between your pointer and thumb uh, really hard, it will uh, prevent you from crying. That doesn't work at all, by the way. We're sitting in Kimmel's office, and sorry to burst your bubble, but Jimmy Kimmel Live isn't actually live. It tapes in the afternoon and airs at night. During the day, as Kimmel and his staff work, I'm surprised by how quiet it is. Kimmel sits at his desk most of the time in his socks. Every once in a while, there's a flurry of keyboard strokes, or an exchange with Josh Holloway, his monologue writer. News is broken that Tinky Winky, or at least the guy who played him, has died. They table that for now. Maybe this Barney bit will be a thing. He says he has around 30 clients, whom he calls goddesses. He charges $350 per session, so... Barney has taken a life turn. Okay, good. Try not to clip the word turn, but otherwise fine. The producer takes the clip away to make the changes. Now back to silence and typing and reading. It's not yet noon. Five hours to taping. It's become popular to say that Jimmy Kimmel has changed that there's something surprising about his jump into the quote-unquote public discourse. This is in part because so many people first saw him on The Man Show, a Comedy Central program he helped create with his friend comedian Adam Carolla. People can't seem to get over the idea that the show ended with a girl's jumping on a trampoline segment. Or this bit. This game show is called Guess What's In My Pants. Now, I've stuffed something in my pants... And you're allowed to feel around on the... Fox News recently brought this up as some kind of gotcha moment, as if it would somehow discredit him. Ready? Set. Go. You should use two hands. Two hands. (laughs) I thought it was like a Red Bull or something. You think it's... Is that your final answer? Wow. Jesus. You're going to make a fine wife. The fact is, hardly anyone expected Jimmy Kimmel to become much of anything on late-night TV. He didn't make the leap from Saturday Night Live or cut his teeth as a fake reporter on The Daily Show. He was a college dropout who got his first radio gig in Seattle. This is Kimmel and his morning show partner, Kent Voss, circa 1989. Put a single father together with his teenage son he hasn't seen in over 20 years, and what do you get? Laughs. Okay, here's a clip. Dad, you owe me $5. What for? I paid the guy who trims the hedges for you. Wait a minute. We don't have any hedges. Oops. <laughs> Kent and Jimmy worked together and got fired together. I was out on my own. I was married. I was living, you know, 2,000 miles from my family, and I had to load a moving truck and move back to Phoenix to move back in with my parents and with my wife at the time, and that was uh, definitely a low moment. They land another gig in Tampa eventually, only to be let go again. We're talking about our brand new feature called Jimmy Eats the Bacon. I don't know if it's really a feature, it's more of a special. Ladies and gentlemen. Jimmy was married at 21. He and his first wife, Gina Maddie, had their daughter Katie and their son Kevin a year apart. I got fired from a station I wasn't even being paid to work at. I was working there for free and I got fired. That's why Kimmel gets angry now when conservative critics call him part of the Hollywood elite. Does the Hollywood elite get fired in Tampa or co-host The Man Show? 
but it was his work on The Man Show that got the attention of ABC. They signed him to launch Jimmy Kimmel Live on January 26, 2003. The host tried to set himself apart from the competition. He didn't do a monologue. He didn't wear a tie. He offered the crowd drinks and took full advantage of the open bar, leading to his own drunken performance on the fourth night. The smart people weren't impressed. Here's what Salon wrote. Helpless, alone, rejected by female guests except for Tammy Faye Baker, Jimmy Kimmel drifts toward the ninth circle of talk show hell. Except there was something that set Kimmel apart from so many others, even then. It wasn't just the bits. It was something you can't learn in improv class. It's personality. He's likable. Somebody you'd want to hang out with. He's quick, a product of 80s pop culture, and he's always up for a good prank, like his long-running fake feud with Matt Damon. It began early in the show's run when Kimmel wrapped a discouraging show by apologizing to Damon for bumping him for time. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Apologies to Matt Damon. Ran out of time. Apologies to Matt Damon. He had a baby today, so it really was the wrong thing to do to bump him, but we had to. That likability should not be underestimated. David Letterman, one of his childhood idols, has gone on Kimmel twice since he retired from CBS in 2015. He's yet to appear on Fallon or Colbert. He's very pleasant and in control, but doesn't throw himself over the desk. It, it reminds me a little bit of the a mechanism of Carson, where Carson knew he was coming back the next night, and if things were great, fine, I'll be back tomorrow night. If things are not great, I'll be back tomorrow night. And I find that to endure, you have to have that same resiliency. And I, he's a little... Um, removed a little, um, he's a little aloof, uh, and, but very pleasant. And, and the, the lack of uh, the frenzy, I think, makes him uh, very easy to watch. Well, that, that's the thing that's interesting to me is I, I spent just a day with him, but I was uh, fascinated. Now, let me ask by, you a question. Yeah. Were the yeah. two of you smoking weed? No, we were not. No, no. I, 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 don't, I, I, I okay. never do that in, uh, when I'm working. Really, or even not, not yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be Jimmy's go-to move when he's being interviewed. Come on in, let's smoke some weed. <laughs> you can see some of that effortless likability even during tougher segments, like when he's interviewing future presidents. I kind of love the way he nudges then-candidate Trump on whether he once tried to impersonate his own spokesman. To me, that didn't sound like my voice. It did, yeah, well, nobody sounds like themselves when they hear Maybe. themselves. You go, oh, Maybe. that's me. But to me, it sounded just like you. Really? Is that yeah. Right? 30 years, 30 years. And if it was you, I think it was a very funny thing to do, to call a guy and take him through the ringer Well, you like know, that. over the years, I've used it. There's also something I learned spending time with Kimmel. That on-camera authenticity, it's actually real. Listen to how he helps me when I'm looking for sources. That might seem normal to you, but it isn't. I'm going to talk to I mean, Do you want to talk to famous people or do you want to talk yeah, to people gave, of my life? Yeah, I gave a, a, a Lewis a bunch of famous people, but I just guessed who they, like, who, but, like, Cern would obviously be a good person. I know mm -hmm. he's hard to get to. He'll yeah. probably do it. When he was in high school, there was no satellite radio and Howard Stern wasn't on the air everywhere. So Kimmel used to covet the Stern tapes his Uncle Vinny would make him. Now he and Stern are close. I mean, they go on vacations together. They went blackberry picking. Yes, the man show guy and the creator of Lesbian Dial-A-Date. I'll tell you what, Jimmy knows I'm into, um, I, I, I paint watercolors, you know, for a hobby. When we get together, we, uh, we actually uh, go in a room and draw, we <laughs> paint. 
Did Howard Stern just say that? And then there's the gift-giving thing. One day, Stern started getting a watercolor magazine out of the blue. And then I look at who it's addressed to, and it was addressed to Hal Ibbett. And I'm looking at this Hal Ibbett. Halibut is an inside reference to a joke Stern tells about his parents. I go, oh, Jimmy's so funny. He loves when I do the impression of my parents. My father loves halibut. And so, he, you know, I always do this impression. My father, I'll have the halibut uh, with the mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I, every time I look at every month, I laugh. You know, I, I appreciate that kind of mind. You know, it's, it's great. I have deep connections with my friends, you know, and just people ignore the ones who aren't famous, you know, but... There have been a lot of stories written about you, and so there are a lot of things that have been explored, but I, I always like to talk to some of these parents, because, you know... Yeah, my parents are fun to uh, talk to. Um... We're careful not to mention anything in front of Jimmy. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's like we all know, do not say, oh, isn't that red dress pretty? Because you will have that red dress the next day. Joan Kimmel, Jimmy's mom, used to bake him a cake decorated with David Letterman's late-night logo on his birthday. She tells the story of her son once finding a $20 bill. He was eight or nine years old. Instead of pocketing it, he brought his parents and sister out to an Italian restaurant. He really hasn't changed. He's still generous. Comedian Don Rickles was somebody Kimmel admired and had on over the years. When Rickles died, Kimmel thought of his widow, Barbara. Jimmy's wife, Molly McNerney, explains... I remember right after Billy's surgery, coming home, and it was like our first day back from the hospital, and there was a ton of mail there, and there was a handwritten note from Barbara Rickles, Don Rickles' widow, I'm going to get choked up, thanking us for the flowers that she got on her birthday. And Jimmy remembered, he, he, does, he does not forget a single solitary birthday. It's a small gesture, but very much in character, particularly how Kimmel did it without seeking attention or telling anyone, which is how I stumbled upon one other thing you don't know about Kimmel. It's actually something he's never talked about. More in a minute. Jimmy met his wife, Molly, on Jimmy Kimmel Live. McNerney started on the show in 2003 as a writer's assistant before eventually becoming the show's co-head writer. She wasn't really thinking of her boss as the potential Mr. Right. He was 11 years older, and she admits she wasn't attracted to Kimmel back then. How could you be with that hair? He had sideburns, and we called it the cotton candy clamshell. If you look at that hair the first few seasons, it's... Atrocious. It looks like the wedding singer. Yeah, he just had a bad haircut. Now I'm very physically attracted to him. (laughs) They finally started dating in 2009, but it wasn't exactly a straight shot to their marriage four years later. Molly tried to break up with Jimmy repeatedly. Because I said, I definitely want kids, and I don't think you should have kids again. Like, you're in the the great spot in your life right now. Like, don't add another 20 years of messes and noise and chaos and soccer games. Like, go, be free. (laughs) And he wouldn't have it. He did not want to break up. He said, I'm open to it. He went to therapy. And I didn't know he was doing this, which is pretty sweet. He was going to a therapist talking about it. And then he told me, he just said one day, he's like, I want to, I want to have kids. And I said, no, you don't. And I, try, again, try to talk him out of it. And he said, it's, Molly, it's a leap of faith. 
They were married in 2013. Daughter Jane came the following summer. And Jimmy is super into being a dad. Like even the little things. Has he shown you these pancakes he makes? No. It makes me look really shitty because like the one time he's not there in the morning and my daughter asks for pancakes, I'm like, would you like a ball or a heart? Like I can't do, I have no artistic ability. These aren't your average pancakes. He does six different like tubes of pancake batter that he put different colors in. This is all his thing. And he freestyles and makes these pieces of artwork that are pancakes. So like he'll make a Peppa Pig or a Dory or all these different characters for him. And it's insane. Billy is what changed everything. And not in a way that you could have predicted. In May last year, Kimmel returned to the air and it only seemed natural to tell his audience what had happened. He talked for about 13 minutes. Ellen DeGeneres, a longtime friend, remembers tuning in to see the monologue. You can't not remember that night. The fact that you're seeing a, a really strong, smart, funny man cry is beautiful because he's not trying to act like a, a, a talk show host. And, and it wasn't, you know, salacious. It wasn't to get ratings. It was just raw. And you don't see that on television that much. You know, we hear these phrases like, the, you know, the, new, the conscience of late night television. And, and everybody talks about this transformation. And I'd be curious to hear um, about how you view his sort of, um, uh, you know, leap into politics in some weird way. You know, it, politics are issues that are serious. I mean, like, I kind of became an accidental, you know, activist just by being gay that kind of automatically makes me stand up and speak out for people who I feel are not given, you know, a fair shake. And that's the same thing with with him, with his son being born with this, you know, this medical, you know, issue. Does that place the pizza? No, it doesn't appeal to me. Okay. Oh, tender greens or... Around noon, Jimmy's assistant goes to grab lunch. Jimmy eats at his desk, still working. I've not hung out and got lunch with anyone um, uh, in 15 years. (laughs) You know, there's no downtime at all. He orders, and it's healthy stuff I'm seeing him eat. Tuna from tender greens, later on cottage cheese with a little salt sifted on top. He's watching what he eats all the time now. His wife says he's starving himself with the Oscars coming. I mean, this is the new Jimmy, the guy who recently carried a GQ spread, who jumped around in a $4,100 Prada jacket. (laughs) I gave him so much shit for that. (laughs) Stand-up comedian Sarah Silverman dated Jimmy Kimmel for nearly a decade, and they're still friends. He was very pointedly not political up until a year and a half ago, two years ago. To me, it's exciting to see him get this respect. He's always been really smart and really funny. And I remember when we were first together, he would, you know, write uh, write for John Stewart for the Grammys, you know, stuff like that. And he would put jokes in John's mouth that were brilliant. And, and John would, of course, who is also brilliant, would get, Oh, that John Stewart, he's so brilliant. But like the same joke in his own mouth, it would be like, oh, that's the man show guy. You know, so it's so exciting to see him like get what he deserves and like be perceived in a way that he really is. Let's get back to politics here. It's not like Kimmel never did political jokes, but doing a bit about Bush or Obama is not the same as pushing for legislation. He just wanted to be funny back then. 
I had our researchers at the Washington Post pull up his federal and local filings. Almost a blank slate. But his wife Molly was another story. She gave to a range of causes and campaigns. Gifts from $100 to $2,700. To congressional candidates and Hillary Clinton and to former Congresswoman Gabby Gifford's gun control campaign. I actively avoided giving money because I didn't want people to know what my politics were. Why? Politicians. Because there was a time, and that time is gone, <laughs> where it... Well, first of all, I, in my opinion, at least in previously, there were a lot better places to give your money than in some politician's, uh, uh, you know, campaign. I right, mean, right. you know, so... That's part of it, you know. Then you wind up in feeling like you're in a time of crisis and you feel like, okay, now this is really important. I, well, I also feel now like the cat is out of the bag, so I might as well give to any candidate I feel like giving yeah. to. But I would always, to be honest with you, I would just have my wife make, make the donations. Well, that's what I was going to say because her, <laughs> her list is extensive. <laughs> then Trump won the election. Molly found Trump's victory particularly hard to take. She'd grown up in Missouri as a straight-ticket Republican. Now she's a passionate Democrat. I said, I, I don't know if you realize the psychological toll this man has taken on me, and I don't know if I, my job can be to pay attention to him for four years. Jimmy suggested Molly try to just push through. He wasn't thinking of quitting. He was still getting used to the reality. He had never taken Trump all that seriously, and now he did. I know it sounds romantic, but I've never felt like, I've never felt this way about a president before. <laughs> <laughs> Going on to talk about Billy seemed to open an emotional door. And then, of course, there was Parkland. He didn't just share his feelings. He started taking politicians to task. The message was clear. Donald Trump, you need to do something about guns. So I agree this is a mental illness issue because if you don't think we need to do something about it, you're obviously mentally ill. And Ultimately, though, Jimmy Kimmel Live is not meet the press. It's a comedy show. There are jokes to write. There are people to make fun of. There's Barney and tantric sex. Late every morning, Kimmel and his staff head to the theater and watch a bunch of clips gathered for potential bits. On this day, there's a viral video circulating of a young Indian man trying to take a selfie while a train is approaching. The horn blares. You hear someone yell that he's too close to the track, and then the camera goes dark, and it's obvious he's been hit by the train. Most of the people in the studio do what you'd normally do. They shout, laugh nervously, or groan. I watch Kimmel. He has his head down in deep thought. I think the old Jimmy, the chubby man-show dude with floppy white sneakers, he'd likely take the easy road, cashing in a stranger's misery for a cheap laugh. But this guy? I figure he's going to nix the whole thing. I mean, CNN recently called him America's conscience. Do we know anything about what just happened there? You live? And then, Jimmy's idea. Yeah, let's do a fake um, an interview with India, and we'll make Guillermo into a mummy, but we'll make it look like he's got no arms and no legs. I'm like a little body now. The bit's about as sensitive as a keg stand, and it's a sign that even as the world changes, as the host priorities have shifted, there's room for something good and tasteless. Something even Molly thinks might go too far. 
She sends him a short message along with the script he's ordered a couple hours later. See you in hell. Because I thought if we run this, we could look just like heartless assholes. He had a good point in that the, the kid was doing something that drives everyone crazy, which is take selfies and be an idiot. And so he wanted to kind of poke fun at that, which mm. is a, it's a great area to make fun of, but I just got nervous. It's interesting to me mm-hmm. that um, people are spending so much time on um, you know, these moments that are serious when in fact much of what makes this show great is really stupid and juvenile, right? Yes, I mean, I mean the majority of our job is to make fun of the silly stuff and to do juvenile things. Back at Jimmy's office, it's just past three o'clock. Well, let's see, I just edited a Mall of the Wall script and uh, I, I'm gonna hold off on the Guillermo as Indian selfie, selfie train idiot. And I just edited the uh, Barney um, sex script, which has about a 9% chance of being funny. <laughs> it depends it's all on the directors, whether it's not being funny. And then I just got emails from the, um, academy, from the producers of the Academy um, with some facts about this year's nominees. Uh, what do you have here, Sal? It's a bit with Trump making a speech to supporters. In the original clip, the president asks who's going to pay for the border wall. They shout Mexico. Only Sal has another idea. Oh, we'll build a wall. Don't worry. We will build. I promise. We're building the wall. At Canada, we'll pay for the wall. I promise. We will build a great wall. At Canada, we'll pay for the wall. Who is going to pay for the wall? Canada. Who? Canada. 100%. 100%. Let's just use that last one. Just the last one? And, and, and put more people in the, uh, in the mix. Doing the voice? Okay. Two hours to taping. This is how the day works. Quiet, typing, clips. Jimmy works 16-hour days. Since his family is so important to him, I wonder if he ever thinks about retiring. Yeah, I think about it all the time. Of course I do. I think about it every day. Sometimes I, Sometimes when I'm really stressed and overwhelmed, I will go on a real estate website in Idaho or Montana or Wyoming and I'll just look at like ranches there and go and just kind of fantasize for a little bit and then I go back to work. <laughs> you really do that? Yep. But Kimmel admits quitting won't be easy. For one thing, it's as if his entire family works for him. Cousin Sal's a writer and on-air performer. Cousin Mickey is a talent relations director. Brother John has worked as a field director, and Uncle Frank was a cherished on-camera sidekick before his death in 2011. Aunt Shippy is always popping up as the target of hidden camera pranks. There's even the band leader, Cleto. He was his best friend growing up in Las Vegas. I have a lot of people who I love who rely on me here to keep going, um, who work here, and I do feel like I should keep the train running as long as I can for them. Yeah, I mean, you could talk to my kids if you want, to Katie and Kevin if you wanted to. I mean, you know. It's easy to forget he has other grown children. Sometimes when I try and walk into my dad's work and um, I get stopped by security, I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. I'm his daughter. They're like, you're not a child. Katie is 26 and an artist. She doesn't work with her dad, but her brother Kevin does. He's 24. He does social media on Jimmy Kimmel Live. He runs Facebook and Twitter. 
And I also run the show Snapchat. I've noticed that there's this family thing going on with your, with your father and everybody. Right. What do you make of this? Have you thought about it at all? Because it's not normal. Like, David Letterman doesn't have, like, family members working for him. It's nice in a way, you know, I mean, no one's going to be more trustworthy and loyal than somebody you're going to see at Christmas. There is something special about how far he's come. At one point, I asked him what the highlight of this year was for him. I thought he'd say something about the show. Instead, he tells me about this surreal day spent with his idols. He took the train down to the Mark Twain Awards with Bill Murray. He hung with Steve Martin. I was at the airport about to go home, and I went into the bathroom to change clothes, and Letterman was in there changing clothes. So now I'm in the bathroom with Letterman, and Martin Short comes in, and we're just talking and for like a half an hour until his family opened the men's room door and said, hey, Dad, let's go. we got to go. we got to get on the plane. But um, being included in groups like that and is, as a comedy fan, you know, is uh, really Because these are people, I mean, and it's almost surreal what you're describing. I'm thinking about it a little bit, but yeah. it's like basically you're able to hang out with your heroes, yeah. right? Yeah. These are the guys, if you had a choice when you were like 16 years old of who you'd want to hang out with, it would be all those guys, right? It would right? be those very guys. Yeah. And it would be in a men's room. Right before the show, the final Barney clip shows up. Hey, dudes. It's Barney. Today, I'll be teaching you the ancient technique of Tantra. Can you say Tantra? Tantra. <laughs> Are you ready to release all that blocked up sexual energy? Mm, yes. Oh, goody. First, with gentle pressure, apply lotion to your goddess's back. Tighten that up, that old goody Let's thing try. or whatever. Getting into the lotion thing a lot quicker. Well, it's stupid. <laughs> I don't know if it's fine. In the end, the clip gets cut. But remember Tinky Winky's sad demise? Every night before the show, they do a chant. It's like you might hear from a high school basketball team before the game starts. Tonight, the Barney bit may not have made the show, but that poor Teletubby looms large at least behind the scenes. Tonight, let's do it for Tinky Winky. Best show ever. 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 Um, Matt is a good person to talk to. I think Matt, Matt would almost certainly um, talk. I'm Jeff Edgers, Matt Damon. Sorry, we ran out of time tonight. If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Edge of Fame is a production of The Washington Post and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. This episode was produced by Jenny Ament and edited by Jessica Alpert and Iris Adler. Sound designed by John Parati and Paul Vikas. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert, Jessica Stahl, and me. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Edge of Fame, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Edgers Podcast. If you do the Twitter thing, you can find me at Jeff Edgers. That's Jeff spelled G-E-O-F-F. See you next week.